Hello. All right, let's try this again, shall <laughs> we? Uh, back over. Yeah, I'm not sure if we got the message, but I recommended okay. you make sure that you're the only one using Wi-Fi, your Wi-Fi right now. Like, if you have a cell phone or anything, or anyone else has a cell phone, you have them just change it to their LTE or 4G network instead, because that'll actually help with the connection, because you won't have as much um, bogging down your bandwidth. Mm, we shall see. I'm using my actual phone. Yeah, as long right as now. your phone is the only thing that's on that's using Wi-Fi, the connection should stay. Because you were technically still connected mm. earlier, but all of a sudden your voice dropped out. The recording kept going, and then I just went ahead and opened up another Facebook window because I'm like, it's only a matter of time before he just shuts this one down and opens up another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, how's your week? <laughs> oh, well, um, Gerald already knows. I bitched at him about well, that was it. yesterday. I said week. Fucking. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's hot, sweaty. Arms um, weak and mom's spaghetti? Really hot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's nervous because on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop bombs, but he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. Something like that. Actually, did pretty well. I think you did better than me. <laughs> hmm. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's been a week. Uh, the AC, or the thermostats, decided to take mm -hmm. a crap on us. I doubt you're the only one if that helps. You're not Neighbor. alone in your fight against the summer heat. Oh no, that's a it's a constant struggle. Especially if you live in North but, uh, Carolina. <laughs> yeah, so the mm, yeah neighbor decided to go full uh, shenane on us yesterday. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> I wish she she bounced in the house, and that's when I uh, did the "you shall not pass." That pissed her off. <laughs> But uh, so we've got everybody here. That means this is Gaming Sessions Podcast. I am David, a.k.a. Vincent DB82, your host, my co-host, Gerald, a.k.a. Sukanode, and our serial guest, Evan, the guy down the street you only call me over, that is joining us again. I don't get the reference. <laughs> what reference? Why would I I'm call crazy. you Fruit Loops? You see, if I have to explain the joke, the joke stops being funny. So if you can't get the joke, just accept you don't get the joke and let it slide so that those who can laugh at it will laugh at it without explanation. Mm. <laughs> I will be saying many unfunny things throughout <laughs> this. But if it is funny, mm. I'm probably talking about Nazis. Hmm. Yes, we have uh, some interesting topics for everybody's uh, ear holes today. Uh, so while we were waiting for you to join, Gerald, I was telling Evan about uh, the crazy neighbor and the thermostat taking a crap on us. How was your week? I had an all right week. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary. 
Um, the newest book in Jim Butcher's Dresden Files Peace Talks released. I've been holding off on reading it because I've been uh, writing that short story and I don't want it to color over into my short story. I want to have the short story done first. But I did read the first chapter of the book and it's already really good. Um, and since it's the first <laughs> chapter and it's not, it's not spoiler. I, I, I feel like it's not spoilers if it's the first chapter. Agreed. But Thomas is telling Dresden that his girlfriend, the one that they went through all of the stuff to keep alive and whatnot, like the love of his life, is now pregnant. Yeah, that tends to happen when the Wait, Susan? two loves of their lives get together after a while. Yeah. Are you talking about Susan? Um, I don't remember what her name is. Or no, it's, it's Dresden's half brother. Uh, his his girl, but I forget. Uh, okay. I forget. Yeah, yeah. Justine, gotcha. I think it is. I think it's Justine. Um, but she is now pregnant, and the baby is uh is going to also be half white court vampire. Which has brought up the problem mm. that because it's half white court vampire, it is going to be feeding off of her during the entire pregnancy. And Dresden is like, and how is that going to, how is that going to end for her? How is that going to affect her? And he's like, well, I've gone through, and Thomas is like, I've gone through all the history, and about 50% of the women either die in childbirth or soon after. And they're both like, mm. <laughs> and Dresden's like, well, you know, I got your back no matter what, right? Um, but he's like, you know shit's gonna have to change now that you have this kid on the way. And then him and Thomas have kind of a stare-off because he's talking about Thomas's Thomas making sure that his vampiric half is satisfied so that he doesn't, like, go off the walls so he doesn't need to feed on Justine because the, the biggest thing with Thomas is that he with the white court vampires they almost cannot stop themselves from feeding on someone they love it's like a natural instinct so I'm going to point out as someone it, who does not read the Dresden files that the fact that you went out of your way to explain that but not who these characters are is very bothersome because you lost me when you mentioned some kind of weird half brother Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> Which and, you were brought up while trying to explain who the name of the love interest. And now I'm no longer sure if it's um, Dresden's love interest. Okay, sorry. You're, uh, well, first off, I shouldn't be talking too much about it because if you've never read any of the Dresden series, this is kind of a spoiler. You're gonna yeah, be lost. you're going to be lost and it's a bit of a spoiler <laughs> in one of the previous books um so in that case you really should consider talking about the first chapter of spoiler then on the account that maybe someone who is interested in the books hasn't read them is actually being uh, spoiled on several plot points just by mentioning stuff that happens in the first chapter well yeah you're and 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 i didn't think of uh sorry i didn't think of it that way i've I'm just I'm so excited that the new book has come out and apparently the next book in the series is due this September. He's doing a double book this year. 
And if anyone who does read the books and knows about Jim Butcher, his books you were coming out once a year, and then they kind of slowed down to like once every year and a half, once every two years, once every three years. And I think this book is two or three years after the last book. So it's been a while. Uh, so sorry if I... It, this even knowing about because the cat's out of the bag at this point, Thomas. Even knowing about Thomas, that is not going to ruin the book that he is introduced in. Yeah, I don't even it know is, who Thomas is or how he's right. involved with pregnancy. And your description just made it incredibly confusing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll just stop there. I read the first chapter. It's still really good. For those of us who have been for those of you who have been reading the Dresden Files and you're all caught up. Um, yeah, it, just the first chapter, it's already really good. It's still Jim Butcher at his best. Um, we'll see how the rest of the book goes, you know, see what changed, see what happens. Uh, so that happened. Um, I also got wind of Digimon 2020. They're doing like a remake of the original series. And... They're trying, it seems, to follow the normal the, that storyline, but they're doing a lot of changes. Like, they're, they're first off, they're doing a bit of time hopping, where they are. There was always a distinct time difference between being in the digital world and being in the human world. Like, time in the digital world is either slower or faster, depending. And in this, they've, like, really gone with that. So it's, like, time in the digital world, like, so much time in the digital world is a smaller amount of time in the real world. Um, so, but the thing, and I would be okay with this. I love the Digimon original series. I grew up with that as well. My biggest issue is, in the very first episode of this new Digimon anime 2020, a remake of the First original series with Ty, Sora, Mimi, Izzy, the original cast and crew, you know, Kari, TK, Matt, the originals. In the first episode, not only do not only does Agumon, Ty's Digimon, go from rookie to mega, but he meets Matt and they they uh they fuse Digivolve into Omnimon in the first episode. Yeah, I used to watch Digimon, <laughs> and you lost me there, too. <laughs> no, I mean, I literally don't understand what you're saying. Um, well, what part, what don't you understand? Okay. okay, I got an idea of what Digivolve is, because we live in a world full of Pokemon, but I don't understand yeah. the point of the master thing, why that's a big deal or any of that. I'm just going to assume it's a major screw up and go from there. <laughs> um, it completely takes all the tension out of the show. Because in the original series, the big thing, Digivolution was a very big thing. And it was, it was, it was always shown that Digivolving was an extremely hard thing to do. And it's, it is the same thing as Pokemon Evolution. So if you hear Digivolve and you don't know what's being talked about, just immediately think Pokemon Evolution, because that's what it is. I always thought Pokemon Evolution always seemed kind of easy. It's already one of those days, isn't it?
It might be. Hopefully that'll be the last break. But but anyway, uh, continuing with Digimon 2020. So in the original series, as I was saying, Digivolving was a very big deal. It was extremely hard for Digimon to Digivolve. And usually it took some drastic event for them to even do so, which meant whenever one of the Digimon of the main characters Digivolved, it was a very big deal. It was one of those epic moments. But it's very obvious in the first episode that they're they're trying to make every moment an epic moment. There's no weight to the Digimon like... Agumon gets into a fight with another evil Digimon. He turns into Greymon, which is a much larger, like, T-Rex heavy-built Digimon. But he's bouncing around like his bones are hollow and he only weighs 50 pounds. He's literally, like, jumping in the air and tail-whipping things out of the air. And he's supposed to be a heavy Digimon at that stage. A heavy man, if you would? A heavy mon, if you would. Um, so, and then they keep doing all of these, like, what is the best way? Like, close-up cuts? Like, they, it, it's, it's those cuts that you see in TV shows and films and cartoons where they're, like, doing sort of a, a cut-to-close-up because they're like, oh, this is the big moment, right? And you'll have, like, five of those in a row which actually means the moment is completely useless because you just put five of them in a row. They're just the norm. Or at least in my opinion, it feels that way. Um, now, Digimon have like five stages. They have their in-training stage, which is like their baby form. They have their rookie stage, which is like their adolescent form. Their champion would be an adult stage. Their ultimate is a more powerful stage past that. Their mega is like the pinnacle And to go past that, most Digimon have to fuse with each other into a single Digimon. So two mega-level Digimon will fuse together into a singular uh, mega-Digimon that is more powerful than the two components. Well, Omnimon is literally one of the most powerful Digimon in Digimon lore, period. And you don't even see him until literally five or six seasons of the original show. He's in the first episode. Cutting to the chase, I like it. Yeah, and I could, and I would, I would be, a, and I, I thought like, okay, so they're just burning through everything because we've seen this a million times, and they don't want to waste any time. But then they're making sure that they're kind of following the original storyline beat for beat and then they make random odd changes to it here and there so if they wanted to do their own thing but follow the original it's just weird it's weird and it feels like they're trying too hard like it's really weird and it feels like they're trying too hard and i don't know how to best explain the weird vibe I'm getting. Because I I get the nostalgia vibes because I'll see you know, Tai with Agumon and Sora with Bergeron and they're doing all this and that. But it's like there is no tension in this story. Like I don't, if, if, if they can just turn into their mega 
where they feed. Uh oh. Hmm. I think we lost Gerald. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so right, Evan, I need you to uh, talk about my week. No sacrifice to the machine god, so we can yeah. get. <laughs> well, we can go ahead and continue. Those were the, the it just Digimon twenty twenty is weird. Uh, the dress and file book is looking to be really good, and I'm excited about that. Um, and the rest of my week was pretty much mostly the same. Um, I'm trying to sit down and really do stuff with Dragon Ball Fighters and really learn the combos. I found like a 60-70% combo with Dragon Ball Super Broly. So I'm excited about that. I've been practicing that over and over and over again. Using it in actual combat then becomes the problem. <laughs> mm. But yeah, that's pretty much my week. All right, Evan? Well, I spent a good portion of my week in 13th century Japan <laughs> killing Mongolians. And uh, Mongolians. Yeah, I'm not repeating that. That's a racist joke. Um, so, <laughs> and uh, aside from that, I have a this, weirdly enough, in a weird way, ties into what we're going to be talking about. Uh, I'm guessing the second subject in today's episode. Uh, which is I had a funny exchange with somebody on YouTube, which I should point out, it is extremely rare I comment on YouTube videos. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if I could count on one hand the total number of times I've done it since YouTube was created. But there's an interesting thing going on on YouTube or certain channels that uh, indulge in film theory and analysis are doing a thing called One Extraordinary Scene, where each of these channels picks one scene from the X-Men franchise to examine to explain why it's extraordinary. And I found this out from one uh, channel I'm subscribed to called Lessons from a Screenplay. And this was a case of, out of all the damn scenes, why did you pick this one? And it's the, uh, the base under siege scene. <laughs> I know that's rare in X-Men, but bear with me. <laughs> in in uh, X-Men First Class. Do you remember that scene, guys? Which one? The Do I have to explain what base under siege means? For me, oh, yes. When because uh, I, I said it's the base the... under siege scene of that movie. There is only oh, one. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Sorry. 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 Yeah. But yeah, I know. Okay. I know what you're talking about. <clears throat> yeah, it's that midway point in the film. And it's, it's one of those where I'm just sitting there thinking, one, it's the X-Men franchise. Base Under Siege is their status quo since before they even bothered adapting the, the X-Men into other mediums, let alone movies. So you can yeah, literally pick a Base Under Siege. thousands of times. Yeah. So literally you could have like made the exact same points this guy was making about why this is good for the story in almost every other X-Men movie. Like, even Logan had a Base Under Siege scene. <laughs> But but the th problem with the one in first class is he literally picked what is hands down like the most racist scene in the entire franchise. And killing the only, worst, black guy. only black Hispanic guy and the only other person of color on the good guy side switches sides for really not much of any particularly good reason. 
like the only setup is a single line that was spoken like two minutes before she did it, if even that. Yeah. So yeah, the chick with the fairy l- wings. L- yeah, Angel, who, oh god, <laughs> but it's it, keep in mind. I do like X Men First Class. I I was and it restarted the franchise for a reason, but it was always one of those movies where I felt people gave it far more credit than it deserved. And um, the fact that your your entire film franchise based off a comic that started off as a metaphor for civil rights issues, and your movie is and and you're showing the first version of this team is a bunch of white people facing off against a bunch of a bunch of other people. Where the only people of color on, are suddenly on the bad guy side for once again no good reason, <laughs> and yeah, the um, Darwin, who actually is one of my favorite X Men characters from the comics, whose superpower is that he can't be killed, is killed. killed. So not only do you take out one of the very few minority characters you have in the thing in general, and one of the ver- any one of the even fewer that are on the right side according to this movie. You went out of your way to do it because you killed the guy who can't be killed. <laughs> yeah, and maybe people don't understand what that means. So Darwin's mutant ability, as was shown in in uh, X-Men First Class, is the ability to adapt to anything. Now, pe- those listening might be like, who know about the movie, might go, yeah, but he was fed raw, like, cosmic or explosive energy. Right. But there is literally a comic book line where Darwin encounters Hell, the goddess of death from the uh, Norse mythology. Touching her causes instant death. So what Darwin's mutant ability literally does is when he touches her, his mutant ability evolves him into a god of death to survive it. Hmm. That's why that, that scene far. was stupid. <laughs> I, I don't even need to do that much. His first appearance is he literally put himself together from pieces and psychic energy alone because his bo- because he adapted to that. Well, you could also pieces that had worse pieces. And by pieces, I mean he was pretty much atomized and scattered apart for more than a decade. <laughs> He is one of the most powerful X-Men, and his only power is not dying. <laughs> uh, I I still like the more comedic one of when he walked, when of uh, the storyline where he's fighting um uh Worldbreaker Hulk, which is Scar Hulk from Hulk World when he comes back to Earth after the ship blows up that they sent him to Scar on. He's just called Scar. Uh, it is just Scar Hulk. Um, no, no. But, Scar uh, is uh, the son of Hulk from Sakar. Uh, Sakar. That's what I was trying. Yeah, yeah. Sakar. <laughs> uh, but World War Hulk was the storyline, and so yeah. Darwin's and ability to adapt. Yeah, but in the fight with the Hulk, Darwin's mutant ability because it's him adapting to a situation. The best way it can find for him to adapt to the situation is to literally teleport him to the other side of the planet so he doesn't have to fight the Hulk. (laughs) I love, I love that it did that. That it was like, no, just don't be here. (laughs) 
Oh, my favorite is in X Factor when he became the boyfriend of M, who, for those who don't know, M is a character who is, for lack of a better term, just perfect. That's kind of her thing. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. it turns, and it turns out, and it turns out, the reason she starts dating Darwin is because his mutant power makes him the only man who can satisfy her. Yeah. <laughs> because his body literally sense, adapted yeah. to be a perfect lover. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Darwin's but ability going is back fucking to, great. Yeah. But going back to uh, <laughs> why I go why I brought this up is this led to this was one of those rare occasions where I did comment because remember uh, if you, for those of you who aren't familiar with the channel lessons of a screenplay, the guy's shown on screen all the time. His skin complexion is at least as dark as mine, if not darker. Um so this was very this was actually just confusing to me. And I literally put up a comment to just say something like, um, on one hand to get the point you're trying to make, but out of all the all the on the other hand, out of all the scenes in the entire franchise you could have used, why did you go with one of the most offensive? Which I think Gerald and I just did an excellent job for the last couple of minutes explaining why it's offensive, not just from like a racial standpoint, but from the standpoint of just being an X-Men fan. <laughs> and I got a response from somebody saying, I don't see how it's offensive. Also, you get offended too easily. Uh -oh. Which led to me, yeah, which led to me <laughs> responding with, I'm just going to completely ignore the fact that there are tons of videos and essays online already, including YouTube, uh, all about how it was racist to kill off one to kill off your one character, one character of color, and then take the only other character of color on the good guy side and have them switch sides with really no pretense whatsoever and just ask how the fuck you can tell I'm easily offended and use the word fuck, but still, how can you tell I'm easily offended if you can't figure out what's offensive? <laughs> and uh, to which the guy's response was it, it, it literally my response to what he said in response to that was me just going, wow, that's a whole new level of tone deaf where he says, what? I don't see the problem with that. People die all the time, and some women are evil, so of course they switch sides. <laughs> to which I was just like, "Wow, that that's a, that's an all new level of tone deaf." Not only did what you say, what not only did what you say is completely racist, but you also decided to bring gender into it, even though we said I said nothing about that beforehand. And the guy responded with "Thanks for the compliment," which I'm pretty sure think me in his mind means he thinks he's being clever. I love people who think getting the last word and winning the argument are the same thing. Yeah. Because they don't grasp that all I have to do to win is nothing. They've won the hmm. argument for me. And that's definitely one of those. <laughs> the problem is they don't see it that way. And then they go off to spread more misinformation. That's the biggest issue with that. It is they don't, but you're not gonna change their mind. So it's in if you're gonna argue in a public forum, that's the smart thing to do. Because they just spoke for themselves. Your work here is done. <laughs> yeah. It was it was a bullshit scene. It really was a bullshit yeah. scene. <laughs> not the only one in that movie, but also still not a bad movie. Still one of the better X-Men movies. But well, yeah, that scene. And things I've learned about Matthew Vaughn, all of a sudden that scene being in that movie makes a lot more sense. Mm. <laughs> he is uh. he's not the nicest of directors and is one of those guys who thinks he's right about everything. 
to make it even worse. So keep in mind, in the grand scheme of things, the directors, he's a long way from the worst, and he still makes really good movies. It's just don't ever ask his opinions about poor people and why they're poor. Hmm. But that's it for pretty much for my week. Aside from just playing Ghost of Tsushima like crazy, uh, I, I don't really have much to go with. Oh, and um, that I recently rewatched in the last week, both The Dark Knight Rises and Man of Steel, and can honestly say that I don't like either of those movies anymore. Hmm. <laughs> it, What's wrong with The Dark Knight Rises? Um, it is a movie with lots of good scenes that do not combine into a satisfying whole. Is the be- that's the best way I can put it. it it's keep in mind uh, I would put it just for me personally just on the bad side of mediocre because I was like halfway through it and I was looking at my clock I was looking at the timestamp being like when's this thing going to be over I want to move on now um, and it's I hadn't seen it since it first came out in theaters it's the first time in a while and yeah it's just kind of a slog to get through it just overstays its welcome and there are a lot of scenes in there that it's like watching a Zack Snyder movie, not Man of Steel. That's that's not my the same complaint I have for that one, but definitely something like Sucker Punch or Batman v Superman, where if you just cut it, if you just look at a scene individually, it usually works out just fine. But when you remember that this is part of an overall narrative and look at that narrative as a whole, it comes across as very problematic and disjointed as a result of just the individual scenes being good themselves. And so like Bane is awesome, even if he is undermined as a villain by the Talia reveal at the end, you know, it's uh, the scene where he gets out of the pit is awesome, but like the stuff in between that connects these awesome scenes just doesn't really justify it as much. And so my only enjoyment in The Dark Knight Rises now is just the enjoyment I always had with it, which is I love having a character as iconic of, as Batman and knowing that there is a def- there is a version out there with a definitive beginning, middle, and end, which is the idea of doing that with longtime superheroes is just fascinating to me. It's the same reason I really love the Ultimate Spider-Man run, because I like that we have a version of Peter Parker who is incredibly popular and you have a totality of his career as Spider-Man in that run before Miles Morales came along. So in that respect, I, I enjoy it. But just as a movie in and of itself, not so much. As for Man of Steel, that was one where I actually did enjoy that for the longest time until this most recent time I watched it. I hadn't seen it in a few years, not since I think I first got on Blu-ray back in 2013. And I watched it three or four times uh, back then. And I was enjoying it more and more each time. Now, I'm just like, my problem isn't even the problems everyone else has with Man of Steel that people complain about and that, you know, a certain kind of fan, once again, we'll be kind of talking about that kind of person later (laughs) when we talk about Nazis. um, Oh, that's going to get me in trouble. Um, But a certain (laughs) – that they try to justify or come up with excuses for, those aren't even my issues with the movie. It's just looking at it solely as a Superman fan, I realize there's a lot of things in there that people didn't think through. And the first hint I got that I was not going to enjoy it this time is actually a scene that to this day in that movie, everybody praises. And that's the scene where Clark Kent is dealing with the super senses for the first time. And he's freaking out in school and his mom has to come, come down and be like, Hey, focus on my voice and all that. Right. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. 
until you think about it. And I really don't think, and to be clear, before anyone wants to defend Zack Snyder, I actually blame David Goyer for Man of Steel, not Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. The only thing Zack Snyder is responsible for in Man of Steel is the um, basically the forgetting that Superman is supposed to be saving civilians in the climax and killing Zod. And that last one doesn't bother me as much as, as it bothers other people. And that second one is an easy fix to me that unfortunately he didn't do. But the but everything else in this movie is pretty much all David Goyer's fault because it was his script that he wrote that he was not commissioned to write. <laughs> he did it on his own, showed it to showed it to Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan liked it so much that he used his clout and Warner Brothers to get Man of Steel pushed ahead. And he doesn't seem to grasp something that's so basic in Superman's mythology that even the very first Superman movie from 1978 mentioned it, which is he is a solar powered being. He gets his abilities by absorbing solar light. So when he's first a baby, though it's different in the movie, he does start off like a normal person. But as he throughout his life starts to gain, starts to soak in more and more solar energy, he became more and more powerful and his powers started to come out, which means the sensory thing would have been gradual, not all at once. So that scene doesn't really make sense when you think about that. Because it should have been, he starts off hearing like a normal person, and then as time goes on, he's hearing more, he's seeing things differently, all that stuff will be gradually enhanced, as opposed to all at once. And it just, hmm, like, started, about that. yeah, and it just started as a domino effect of everything that's wrong about this movie, from just a Superman perspective, just based on how his basic powers work. And nothing made that more clear to me than when he's on Zod's ship and he starts, like, reacting badly to it physically. And Zod's response is, it's just him reacting to our ship's atmospherics. And my immediate thought and response to that was, you mean your ship's atmosphere? Because that's the actual proper word to use in that scene is atmosphere, not atmospherics. Hmm. <laughs> Which speaks volumes about how scientifically knowledgeable David Goyer is as a screenwriter. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well. When I want believe the stories you want, you got I've come to the conclusion if you want the stories you want, you're going to have to write them yourself, which is what I've started doing. Hmm. I agree, but at the same time, if you if the story if you want to write a Superman story, you have already dedicated yourself to a set of standards, rules, and restrictions you have to follow. Because if you don't, then you're not writing Superman anymore. Oh, no, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, like, Which there's I a would... lot of things. It's one of the reasons I don't like Man of Steel. I feel like they got a lot of stuff. I don't know. I feel like a lot of stuff just didn't make sense, and they got a lot of stuff wrong. Yeah. Which I'm okay with. Like before that, I just just like, well, from a Superman perspective, this is valid. But now that like the more I think about little things like that, that people don't even bring up in conversation, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't work. With the exception of Jonathan Kent, I think we can all agree that there that was the worst version of Jonathan Kent ever. For those who don't yeah. know, that's the name of of Superman's dad on Earth. Since we all know the mom's name now, <laughs> right. <laughs> if they had just kept it a fight between the three superheroes and Doomsday, that movie would have been fantastic. But no, they 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 tried to make a story and were not equipped to do it properly. And I this was the first time I watched it in 4K 
and was somewhat disappointed and surprised because it turns out the film wasn't uh, filmed in uh, was only filmed in like a 2K resolution, which for Zack Snyder seems a bit odd. <laughs> that probably also wasn't his call, but we'll no no. Oh. Right. Every time there's so, a long science, I'm worried we dropped out again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Just waiting to make sure that uh, I I keep expecting more. <laughs> so I so I I'm waiting. That's my, but uh, yeah, that's my fault. I I can't get on you about that. <laughs> but anyway, I'm ready uh, for the topics when you are. Yes. Yes. What shall we, we start about boobs? Uh, yes. We will be right back after a quick break to talk about this wonderful pile of 1980s movie. You are so welcome, David. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll find out after the break. So we'll be right back. All right. All right. Welcome back, Gerald. Welcome back, Evan. Welcome back, everyone. Nice to be back. We went to Climation for a bit. It was weird. Hmm? Life Force. What can I say about that? See, that's odd. You saw Claymation. I stopped. I saw uh, stop motion puppetry. (laughs) What is happening? No, no, no. (laughs) It's every time David says after these messages, my my brain merely goes back to my Saturday morning cartoon years. Of the claymation people singing, after these messages, we'll be right back. Ah, hmm. gotcha. So it was just me. I remember that. that. <laughs> okay, we have to explain to the kids what Saturday morning cartoons are. You see, when we were younger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they know what Saturday morning cartoons are. They just don't know which Saturday cartoons we're talking about. Oh, no, they don't. Saturday morning cartoons stopped in like, Around about 2000, 2001. Really? I thought they were still going. I, I mean, I don't watch television anymore, so I assume well, they were still going. No, well, what happened was that a law was passed saying that uh, at that time of day in, on Saturdays, the only shows you can have have to be educational. So you literally couldn't have the good cartoons anymore because those were entertainment. So you can't have like the good you the good Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon like we had back then. You can't have the Adams Family cartoon in Beetlejuice or or the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show because those things didn't have by the standards educational value. So oh, well, the lights can just stop right now because fuck that noise. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So okay, technically, folks, there is still kids programming on Saturdays. Just no kid wants to watch it, and I don't blame them. Yeah, it's like, okay, everybody, we are done here. Humanity is over. We will let you know when the next evolution happens, and then we'll pick up from there. That's why I get things like Looney Tunes and Avatarless Airbender (laughs) and stuff like that on DVD and Blu-ray, so if I do have kids, they can have a proper childhood. (laughs) I bought the complete... Batman the Animated Series three freaking times, <laughs> they will get the best Batman of all time. <laughs> yeah, and I'm always suggesting the old, and I always find myself suggesting the older shows to my friends with kids to have their kids 
watch because they were good and actually had good messages and were fun. <laughs> well, the 90s was arguably the best decade for like those kinds of cartoons, especially on Saturday mornings. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great ones now that are arguably more evolved, but let's be honest, much as I love Avatar The Last Airbender, it doesn't exist without Batman the Animated Series coming out first. But, but <laughs> it doesn't take away the merits of it. No, um, it doesn't. But you were right. <laughs> like, Avatar The Last Airbender is definitely one I would always suggest uh, for anyone to watch, adults and children. Like, everybody should watch the first, oh, yeah. uh, the first uh, season of it. That or show does the, that cartoon does so much better than your average live action show made for adults does. Absolutely. <laughs> so boobs. <Yeah. laughs> How's that you know how much David loves talking about the boobs. Yeah. Well, so I promised I, him a movie with lots with uh, plenty of them. Yeah, so I'm expecting a professor-sized speech. Like I, 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 like I envision David on a on a podium with like 15 well, papers for notes. Before we do anything, <laughs> because I know this was David's first time, I have to ask: When I told you the lead actress spends that much time on screen naked, did you think I was exaggerating? No. But Before you saw the movie, no. But then again, <laughs> she's she changed like she goes into someone else's body like three quarter or two two thirds of the way through the movie, and we well, don't she's even possessing see several people throughout the movie, including Chris uh, Patrick Stewart. Including Patrick uh, Stewart. And what did I tell you about Patrick Stewart before you watched this movie, uh, David? Go ahead. His first kiss. Yep. His first on-screen kiss of all time. Oh, oh, Patrick! <laughs> oh, well. it, it made him a better, stronger person. They, I don't they think forged he the Patrick him. Stewart. We know. I don't. I've never heard of him complain about it, but I've also <laughs> never heard him talk about it. <laughs> oh, he's the one who brought up that it is. He's the one who brought it up on a talk show that it was his first on-screen kiss. Oh, did he? I didn't see that one. I didn't see that interview. It was from like way long ago. But yeah, if it's oh, okay. like he is the one who basically set that record, set that record straight right away. For those of you who are wondering what we're talking about, um, the best way to put this, and we'll probably explain this better later, is that in that kiss, he kissed a man Patrick and he Stewart liked it. was the girl. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not a joke. He literally was the girl. <laughs> mm. This is this is actually one of my favorite movies ever because it is such a B movie. But it's like if Kevin Feige took all of Disney's money and on a freaking like Marvel Cinematic Universe budget made Evil Dead. <laughs> I thought that's why everything looked familiar. <laughs> and um, uh, or did you uh before? Should I go ahead and explain how this movie came to be? Uh, since that will probably answer some questions or or uh will preemptively bring up some thoughts you have about the movie itself, David. If if you want, go for it. All right. So is that is well, wait, 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 I want to hear David's thoughts on the movie first. I thought I he already made this it. is 
Well, this it is your like first viewing of the movie, it, right, David? Yes. <clears throat> okay, then I'd like to hear his thoughts on the movie first before we do anything else. Okay. It is very, very 80s. Oh my god, is it so fucking 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen the movies that are much more 80s than this one. But at the same time, I have to agree, you could not have made this movie any other time except the 80s. Yeah. Um, nah, you could have, but it wouldn't have gotten half the half the reception it got in the eighties, and it was still bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it did not get a good. It was a it was a total bomb. Yeah. And the backstory behind that explains how and why and everything. Uh, we have a we have a new player on the field. Uh, oh, hello, Chris. Appeared. <laughs> What's up, Crit? Not much, ladies and gentlemen. Um, what movie are we talking about? Because I Life Force. Have... What was it? Life Force. <laughs> it's a 1985 movie. Yes. Sorry, so, Steve uh, Railsbeck, uh, the dude from MI5, and Matilda May in one of the most fantastic roles in cinema history. And, and featuring Patrick Stewart in one of his first roles ever? I think it was very early. This would have been immediately before or immediately after he did Dune. Yeah. I think he might have done Dune first, actually. Yeah, well, that Dune came out in 85 as well, so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's after, since he had so much screen time on Dune, he would have been primarily on that. I think he only did a day's work on this movie. Yeah. Well, he Um, didn't have much in the way, yeah. Uh, sorry, well, this was before he was a star. This was before yeah. Star Trek The Next Generation. I also want to say there is so much, uh, if you know what I mean, context in this movie. Very. Uh, no, there's, there's no if you know what I mean about it. They come right out and say it. Well, yeah. I, I, put, I, I put down on my notes, it's all right higgity. Yeah, and it's uh, in fact one of my favorite jokes um, about this movie is the YouTube video that got me to finally sit down and watch it, uh, which is from uh, I forget the name of it, but it's the host of the show. Like whenever he showed a, a moment on the screen where somebody was talking about how the female vampire was irresistible, he would just immediately go, "Dude, it's Matilda May." I get it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like we, we get it. Oh, Which is why actually the first time I watched this, I was really confused. And because uh, I remember her performance in this was very not sexy. And that was by design. Hmm. Which I found out afterwards. But I was just confused by everybody going, my God, she was so hot. So it was just about, I'm like, Yes. There is no denying that is an amazing body with a beautiful face attached to it. It's not exactly mm. grinding its hips or anything when it moves. No. <laughs> and uh, that's actually ties right into how Matilda May uh, got um, like cast and everything. Should I go into the background of this movie now and why it exists? Well, let David go over the movie. Because we got his initial thoughts on it, but I want to know as. Oh no 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 no! We want to talk about where it came from before we talk about the movie itself. We definitely need to do that. Let's do this in chronological order. 
Well, it also helps to set the stage for the few people hearing this who haven't heard, who haven't watched the movie. Okay. All right. Well, I do tend to I do tend to to overlook that. So no, no. Okay. Okay. We'll 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 do it that way. That's fine. Right. I have to ask everyone here a question. Are you familiar with Canon Films? No, uh, I am not. Um, you are, but you didn't know it was Canon Films. They're, this the studio that ruined Superman 4. Mm-hmm. And their whole thing was basically... How can I put this? They were a poor man's Roger Corman. Their whole method of making movies was do it for as little money as possible and reap the benefits. And then use like the profits from one movie, since they made it for like since they'd make a movie for five bucks and it would make like a few hundred thousand, to make about five more movies. So they're basically if you've watched a B movie in the eighties, chances are Canon had something to do with it. I think they're at least um Terminator actually, the first Terminator movie. So they actually have a lot of very famous movies from the 80s by some really talented filmmakers who they were basically the um the 80s equivalent of Bloomhouse but with nowhere near as much quality. Gotcha. And a little yeah. yeah, and would start micromanaging when money would got involved. That's and this is actually this movie is a big part of All right, let's try this again. Yeah. Okay. So I believe I left off saying that this was the this movie is part of the reason Superman Four was crap because for those who don't know behind the scenes they kept cutting the budget more and more on Superman Four, which anybody with half a brain could tell you is a very stupid thing to do when you're trying to make a movie out of Superman. Mm -hmm. And that's because they lost a ton of money on this movie because this was the one time Canon Films tried to make a big budget blockbuster. Yeah. The problem is it, Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, from what I uh, from the re- from what I read on it, the pro- the biggest issue from what I saw was that the director um who directed this? I for, uh, Toby I Hooper. haven't written. Toby Hooper, yeah. From Basically the Texas what Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. Yep. And off of Poltergeist, they were like, "Here, have as much money as you want and you can do whatever you want." And that was their first fuck up. No, actually, that was the smart move. <laughs> that was the smart move. Oh, it, it didn't turn out. The it, the end result does not show that. <laughs> oh well, you do know they knew this was the movie that was going to be made before they hired him, right? Oh yeah, yeah. But they were expecting well, it to be. I guess I, I don't know because a lot of it states that Toby was talking about how he was trying he he was in he was doing his vision uh, there was a lot of that in in all the articles and stuff that I was reading on it and uh I remember there were a lot of uh uh actors and actresses who walked out on it um and then at one point no, in they time didn't. it was uh, I heard the, nothing about anybody walking out on it Apparently, um, let's see, what was it? Uh, yeah, from what I could tell, everyone had a pretty fairly good working relationship. 
a big part of that being that they had a young female star who was basically spending all their screen time naked. So that kind of worked as sort of like a unifying thing for the cast and crew, the need to make sure nobody was, for lack of a better way to put it, abusing any privileges with her. Like, in my mind, when we talk, when people are, you're at the workplace Hmm. and they're talking about how to properly conduct yourself, this movie is my go-to example. If you are in a healthy workspace, then literally a woman can walk around naked and you will still treat her as an equal coworker, which is what they did here. Well, I remember I I thought I wrote it down, but I remember that they had they had had another uh I want to say big name actress at the time try out for the part of Space Girl, and when she realized how much nudity there was going to be of it, she turned it down. Oh like, no 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 no! You're thinking of the you're thinking of the audition process. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> okay okay yeah no nobody walked off the movie. These are this is that's before the movie. That's what's pre production technically. So when they're just like putting things together, um, no, their first, but well, I can res- point out all the problems. If you want to call them that with this movie, to me, they're unintentional successes uh, with this movie by simply pointing out that Canon films can put as much money into any project as they wanted to, but they still don't know how to not be Canon films as made evident that out of all the movies they could have made a they could uh, out of all the books they could have made a movie out of did they think to go with like a best-selling author at the time like Stephen King do they think to go with say you know a class something that's classic and everyone knows and loves it's in the public domain like war of the worlds or something nope they picked up something they picked up a paperback called the space vampires yeah, <laughs> it was originally going to be called the Space Vampires, but they changed it because they uh, what was what was it that was said in the interview? They didn't want it. The name funny enough, you to them or something like that. Well, I I was thinking that first that they would they just changed it because they were like people think this is ridiculous or that, but no, it turns out they didn't want people to think it was a vampire movie or something like that. It was something. It was. So well, no, they, more... they made it, uh, apparently it was apparent that it was going to be a vampire movie, but they didn't want it to be seen as, like, a trash, one of the normal trashy vampire movies. <laughs> like, just off, just based off of the name. Yeah. And that was what it was. And, yeah, it was like, yeah. <laughs> which, to be fair, good change. <laughs> which is funny, considering that in the 80s, that was probably the best decade for vampire movies, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Like the Lost Boys, the original Fright Night, yeah, yeah. Everyone was riding high on vampire movies because of those two specifically. Like yeah. vampires were very much the big blockbuster movie monster at that time because of those movies. Yeah, and for everybody who's wondering about, I am not exaggerating here when I say the lead actress spends almost her entire screen time one hundred percent. Naked. There's literally only one moment in this whole movie she has any kind of covering. Not just clothes, any covering at all. And literally in a shot, it's gone. You don't even see someone take it off. She's just naked again. <laughs> yeah. But they covered the men up all the time. <laughs> No, you get some you get some male ass in there, and I think if you like if this was put into 4K, because uh, the first time you see her is when you see the two male vampire characters, and they're all naked. <laughs> so... Right, but you, ne- I don't remember a single point where you ever see any male genitalia, though. 
they all and even later on in the movie you see the male vampires fully clothed she never is except for when she's inside someone else's body i don't even count that because it's not the actor it's not the same actress anymore well right but <laughs> I, i'm stating for context yeah <laughs> but even then it's not like you're seeing a lot of female genitalia either you see her ass and her tits mostly and there's only a couple of shots where you're like getting it down below now as you can imagine one this wasn't like a decision made by the producers or anything. It was always in the script. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, like there was, it never occurred to anybody at any point that there'd be a moment that whoever played the female vampire, who is not only the female lead, but also the main villain of the movie. It never occurred to anybody that she would be anything but naked for all the screen time we just mentioned. And <laughs> this led to some problems in casting. Because as you because over a thousand actresses tried out for this role. Yeah. <laughs> but only three made it to the final round because they were the only actresses who were willing to do nudity. <laughs> Especially that much nudity. Because mm. trust me when you watch this if you watch this movie, you can tell there's no using a body double. Like mm. you, even you could probably use it for you can probably get away with it for some scenes, but if you're an actor and you want to get your face on screen, there's just too many scenes where the rest of you is going to have to go on screen too. So a body double is not really an option. Now Matilda May got the role because mainly because of her background, she kind of was one of those people who stumbled into acting uh, because she spent all of her life up to that point. I think she was about 18 when she was cast, and 19 when they filmed. Welcome back to Gaming Sessions Podcast, where everything's <laughs> fucked up and you're, and no one's frustration matters. All right, so what was the last thing you heard before we crapped out? A uh, thousand actresses tried out, only three made it, uh, and Matilda was one of the actresses that stumbled into acting. Yeah, because up to that point in her life, she was about 18 or 19 years old when she did this movie, she had been training to be a dancer. Uh, she had one acting role, I think, before this, possibly in another movie. And got to give her credit for someone that young. Um, though a big part of it may be because she's French. <laughs> uh, they have a completely different idea about the body and nudity than we do. Thank God for that. Um, but she knew what she was getting into. And yeah, you. I think you even had to get naked for the audition, too. But the reason she won now is because her training as a dancer uh, worked with Toby Hooper's vision of the character, which he wanted her movements to be kind of too perfect, too precise. Like basically every movement is calculated to the point that it reaches into the uncanny valley. And I honestly think she pulled that off. Mm. It goes right back to what I was saying earlier about how I was confused by everyone talking about how irresistible she is because Take out the nudity, and they're like, oh, and even then that's debatable depending on how used you are to the, seeing the female body. There is no, there's like zero sexuality in her performance whatsoever. Yeah, she's not sexy because she's trying to be. Yeah, well, she's sexy because she's Matilda May. So, yeah. <laughs> like, as, a, as just a person, just as a observer, I will never regret that I've watched her in this movie. As a per- as an actual member of the audience who's into story character and stuff like that, it was like 
honestly really refreshing to me personally. Because I'm one of those people who thinks there's a big difference between being naked and being sexy. The, the two things are not the same. So mm, They're really not. Yeah. And it should also be pointed out that during production, and this will help explain some things for you, David, I'm sure, they ran out of money. Mm-hmm. Which is before they were finished, which is why the the movie just kind of ends. <laughs> That's the best way to explain it. it it's we, we can't say it like it just stops, like mid-scene, all of a sudden, there's just nothing left in the credits roll. It's just, it just ends with no explanation. There is an ending. You just won't understand it. And to me, it's just all the richer for that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's the way it's like supposed said, to be. <laughs> aside from we that, all I can say is, way. yeah, all I can say is this has hands down one of the best scores I have ever heard in a movie of my life. Like that theme song is in your head for a while at when you watch it. And um, the only other thing I can say about it, and I think you guys will agree with me. This is that rare occasion where a ton of money was put into a film and you feel like you see it all there on the screen. Like the practical special effects I thought were actually well done. Don't put it by 21st century standards. This was the 80s. (laughs) Thank the 80s standards. Yeah, for back in the 80s, they did really well on all the practical effects, I think. Yeah. Like this, this felt like a the SFX, the v, like the VFX were definitely big budget. The um, the music, like I said, was big budget. The script and mm-hmm. dependent on the scene, the direction was a B movie all the way. <laughs> mm. That said, though, the puppet of the one vampire dude who was just completely dried out was pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> especially the part where the well the one guy because he's desperate for life force runs into a bunch of bars and just turns into yeah, like and just <laughs> explodes that was a really good scene i i remember i was wa- i was watching the movie again and we got to that part and i was like wow that was a really good scene yeah that was a very good scene and it's a perfect um, it's a perfect mix also of surprise, horror, and comedy. Because just the fact that the dust winds up all over the main characters. <laughs> Man, I feel like this could have actually been a far better movie if they'd had maybe another director to to tell uh, Toby when he was going a little bit too far and when he wasn't going far enough. And if they hadn't run out of money. This I think it's been... if there's a failure here, I think it's a failure of production, not directing. I feel like Toby Hooper was the only one who knew exactly what kind of movie they were making, and not because it was his vision. It's because he's smart enough to know if you're making a movie out of something that's literally called Space Vampires that didn't even bother to get a hardcover release, <laughs> it doesn't matter what kind of budget you put into it. This is more or less the kind of movie you're going to get. Nah, I, I I think it could I I I think it could have been better. I, I I really think they they could have done better with some things. Like it's I don't know it 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 feels <sighs> the movie feels a little empty. 
And we're doing a lot of running from A to B to C to D. And I like how they showed the like I like how the the villains had sort of an overarching plan. I thought that was really good. But for the longest time, our heroes are just kind of bland. Well, we're using heroes. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, they're <laughs> they're definitely they're not characters. They're caricatures more than anything. With the best character by far being the weird dude who's obsessed with death. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, even he then, was I the think... most expressive. Well, that was once again. I think if there was anyone else who knew what kind of movie they were making, but Toby Hooper, it was that actor. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, I, I'm gonna milk this this archetypal character for all he's worth. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like you have all the other actors who are trying to take it seriously, and then you have that one actor who realizes what this movie is. So they're just like, oh, I'm just gonna fucking have fun with this. And Patrick Stewart, who's got like five minutes of screen time, but man, were those five minutes brilliant. (laughs) Especially with the weird-ass special effect of the blood flying out of his face and eyes to form the weird blood version of the female vampire. Yeah, it's like that was not a pleasant day of shooting for her. Yeah, well, they committed. First off, they committed the sin of killing Patrick Stewart, which I understand at the time because he wasn't well known was not a sin. But nowadays, they committed the sin of killing Patrick Stewart. Yeah, this isn't a repeat of 2014's Godzilla, thank God. But yeah, you're right. Honestly, Um, to me, they committed the sin of not having enough Patrick Stewart. But the Patrick Stewart we got was glorious, so I give it a pass on that. Uh, I mean, they also committed the sin of making a giant asparagus spaceship, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, and then they said they modeled it after an artichoke. Yeah, they modeled it after an artichoke. That was hilarious. That's one of the things I love about this, (laughs) is you get about three or four different movies in one movie. I mean, you start off with a very, like, alien-style, like, sci-fi horror-ish movie that then turns into a weird government investigation procedural that briefly turns into an investigative road trip, and then all of a sudden you're in a friggin' all shit's gone bananas like zombie. The end. And that was the that was very that was so funny to me, especially the one scene where they're in the office talking to I think the prime minister, and it's obvious oh there's God, something yes. up with him. And then he's like he's like guys, could you wait a moment? It's like secretary, could you could you follow me? He has a secretary follow me. And then the, and and the thing is, they know something's up, and so they and he left the the prime minister just leaves the door open. The two okay. our two protagonists know out. something is up. I have to point this out about that scene. (laughs) In the world of film, those two protagonists are like Mensa-level geniuses compared to how we're used to most people acting in that kind of a situation. I love it. They see the freaking prime minister acting weird. (laughs) They go into another room. They see the lightning flashes. That's a clear sign of someone having the... And they're like, time to go! (laughs) Turn around to their helicopter and get the fuck out of there. Yeah, they're like, nope, time to go! I was like, oh, you're not going to try to help her? They were like, nah, it's too late. The bitch is gone. Run. (laughs) No, it's like, hell, you can tell that there are already, and if you pay attention, you can tell there are already other people in that same office building that are already infected too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just did what I would have done in that situation. 
Like, uh-uh. <laughs> Fuck here, let's go. Let's get out. Nope, <laughs> this, nope, is, nope. this is not, not dealing with this. Nope. <laughs> we need to nope this. We will nope this like no one's ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was Which, really let's good. Let's just say that one. That one protagonist, the closest thing to a main protagonist I think we have in the movie, which is the investigator character, um, played by the dude from MI5, is one of the most badass characters, in my opinion, all cinema. Because when you get to him in London, holy shit, that dude does not make a single wrong move when he's dealing with like creatures everywhere, grabbing whoever they can to feed on them. And he's literally in like situations most people will just like huddle up into a like a fetal position in a corner and like he successfully fights shoots and i think at one point even runs people over on it out of there <laughs> he gets a lot of lucky breaks too um because there's the the point where he's in the alleyways and he's just being chased by mobs of starving vampires and then like the uh, buildings will collapse because everything's gone to hell and shit like that. So he gets a lot of lucky breaks because there's that one scene where he's going through the alleyway and the built the course the the parallel buildings fall in on each other, cutting the mob off from him with flaming wreckage. And then he's sitting there like, oh god. And then there's one right behind him. And he turns around, just pops it right in the head. Just no thought, just immediate <laughs> action. I'm like, okay, dude, you get the badass seal of approval. <laughs> you did exactly the correct thing. <laughs> like, I would I would argue this movie would be worth watching even if you didn't have so much naked Matilda May. The movie is enjoyable, and I remember it being enjoyable, even yeah. if it's, once again, it's a, it's, it's a bad movie. It's a B movie. But the movie is enjoyable if you just, you know, just don't, if you just watch the movie, you can have fun with the movie. You can absolutely have fun with it. Like, this isn't one of my favorite movies because it's Citizen Kane. It's one of my favorite movies because there are a few movies that I just have as much fun watching as this one. It is a hot mess, but my God, it is a hot mess. (laughs) I don't think I could have described it any better. (laughs) It's glorious. You know what? We like explosions for a reason. Sure, everything's getting destroyed, but look how pretty it is. (laughs) Yeah, London got (laughs) fucked up in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I've seen very few major cities that were as fucked as London was in the third act of this film. And I use the term third act very generous because it's hard to tell how many acts this had, what each act was, where one began. Yeah. It's hard to tell who your main character is. I (laughs) like uh, when we first mentioned watching this movie so that we could critique it up here. Once I under, once I realized what movie we were talking about, I honestly remember only seeing it in parts, not as a full movie all the way through when I was younger. So I have no idea what that's about. Like when it was actually out and being played on like television, because I didn't see it in theaters. I mean, hmm. I think I was maybe eight or nine. The last I time I watched this, it. I did. I uh, actually got a movie theater to play this movie, and I hosted the showing. Oh, nice. It was one of the movies I wanted to see the most in the theater, because first time I watched it was when I got it on Blu-ray. And just, I think that first shot alone is worthy of being seen on the big screen. 
with the giant asparagus spaceship in space. <laughs> I don't know if I can agree to that, but I think I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> the movie yeah, is I get a, a lot of people spectacle. looking at me where like, am I really going to go to the movies for that? And I'm like, you know what? There are some really, um, like some of the best movies of all time. I would not feel much of a need to go out of my way to see in a movie theater. But if there's a Godzilla movie, I don't care how much it sucks. Chance to watch that on the big screen. You'll watch it on the big screen. Hmm. Because scope is a thing. Godzilla movies are different, though. (laughs) They're a completely different beast in and of themselves. (laughs) No, it's all about scope. If you like big things need big screens is basically what I think. Hmm. And it's not like it's not like you can't watch it on a TV, but well, there's a reason I haven't seen Pacific Rim since the first came out. And that's because the first time I watched it, it was an IMAX 3d. And I know I can't repeat that experience. <laughs> oh my God. How bad would the, how eighties would this movie have been if they decided to do a 3d screening of it? Hmm. If they decided what you cut out for me. Yeah, if uh, they decided to do a 3D screening of uh, Life Force, oh. how 80s? How much more 80s would that have made this? Oh. So very 80s. I mean, uh. not that any of us would complain about seeing a 3D naked Matilda May, but still, who's forever going to be about 19 years so old? So I hmm. paused, but then I was like, 3D Matilda May, though. Yeah. This is hard. Well, apparently, call. she ages similar to Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Did anyone else notice he doesn't really look any different than now? Just have more hair. Yeah. Around, yeah. Oh, if you didn't want to have a field day, look at all the Star Trek: The Next Generation cast reunion picture picks um pictures over the years. It's like him and Michael Dorn do not age at all. Hmm. <laughs> Makes you wonder. In fact, <laughs> yeah. so he, so everyone else may have been playing a vampire, but Patrick Stewart, being a true actor and delving into his role, became one. <laughs> mm. He got better. Or, or, <laughs> he did what he had or, to do. Or he's a time lord, or he is one of the uh, Highlanders. Well, it, uh, what, that's that, not what that a Highlander us- is. I have that to point that out. That is not what a Highlander is. Yeah. What, they're not immortal? No, a Highlander is a person from a specific region of Scotland. That's why the movie and franchise is called Highlander, because he's Scottish. Immortals are just called immortals. Ah. Well, I stand corrected. <laughs> I mean, so we think... Uh, who Who is the guy who made the room? Uh, um... Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau. So we have Tommy Wiseau who might possibly be a vampire, and now we have Patrick Stewart who might possibly be a vampire. If he, if Not Tommy sure Wiseau is a vampire, a he's a Nosferatu <laughs> who's got a defect that allows him to grow hair. <laughs> <laughs> is is there anything else about this movie or you feel we haven't wig. covered? Uh, David? What's that? Ooh. Is there anything else about this movie that you feel like uh, Gerald and I haven't covered? <laughs> or that you wanted to bring up? Because you've been pretty quiet for a lot of this. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I didn't finish the movie. I got a little <laughs> little too <sighs> drunk uh, by the time Patrick Stewart showed up. But uh, <laughs> oh. oh, you were only halfway through the movie then. 
No, no actually, that would have been right before the shit goes crazy in London scene, which yeah. means the last thing you probably would have saw would have been uh, Matilda May covered in the blood gel. Which, for those wondering, yes, she was covered from head to toe, and yes, it got into all the places you're thinking. That is why <laughs> it is not her favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> it took like a few days for it to finally get all of it off because it um, congealed and hardened. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, poor Matilda. Yeah, well, you suffer for your art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be fair and and think uh, that the blood wasn't the only thing that used harden. <clears throat> it is super effective. Oh, I knew there was something I was forgetting. I have to point out that because of this movie, this has one of my all time favorite behind the scenes photos ever. <laughs> and it's it's a picture of Toby Hooper talking to Steve Railsbeck and Matilda May, and for lack of a better way to put it, all in costume. And Matilda May's, like, um, her fa- everything from her facial expression to her pose, everything is so casual workday that if it was, like, a movie that was coming out today, you would think it was a deep fake where someone just digitally removed the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite pictures ever. It's crazy <laughs> it goes right that she back got... That thing I was talking... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, finish your thought. Yeah. Yeah, it goes right back to the thing I said earlier about this is what a healthy workspace looks like when literally the one female in the whole cast and, and like, well, is the only one, but pretty much just about the only female in the cast and crew is so relaxed that they can literally stand there naked and everybody will just treat her like normal. Mm. <laughs> Things to aspire to. Hey, Things she looked more relaxed to. in that setting than most women I know of in in work scenarios where they're clothed. So, <laughs> mm. this is true. <laughs> and you do a Google search; you can find it easy. It is a fantastic photo. I love it. I'm surprised she allowed so many of the photos to even happen. She stated in later interviews that it was like her most embarrassing role. Like she was so embarrassed. Like apparently she was so embarrassed by it she didn't put it on her acting resumes. It was I think she was embarrassed afterwards and it is kind of the sad thing about this movie. Like I feel like we're the first people in a long time who could who are thinking about who are talking about things other than there's this really hot French chick who's 19 years old. She's naked throughout the whole movie. We brought it up several times, but we spent exponentially more time on the production of the film, the director, uh, the awesomely hilarious badass scene where they just nope their way out of the prime minister's office. You know, it's, I think it's, I think it's one of those things embarrassing for her because, and it's, and it's one of those in hindsight, you should have seen this coming. All anyone ever talks about is her body. No one even brings up. I feel like we're the first people in like this kind of meeting where we actually brought up her performance for God's sakes. (laughs) And yeah, sadly, if you're a female actor trying to get work that, frustratingly can easily put a stigma on you, especially in the eighties <laughs> in an, in, in an international market that can make it very difficult to get like serious work afterwards. It's not too dissimilar from the problem Heath Ledger had before he got cast as the Joker, where he had trouble finding the kind of work he, at least any substantial work because all, all of Hollywood decided he was a pretty face when really he was trying to act. Hmm. And once again, very sad that he did a, 
completely awesome Joker, but ended up killing himself in the process. Yeah. <clears throat> mm. But Matilda May is still around, and like I said, she ages like Patrick Stewart. Mm. All right, so any final thoughts for Life Force? Everyone needs to watch movie. this movie at least once. <laughs> hmm. At least once. I recommend it for it. I do also recommend it for a one, at least a one-time viewing. Like, if you don't like it, you don't like it. But the movie definitely brings something to the table to be enjoyed, I think. Yeah. It's enjoyable for all the wonderfully horrible reasons that we listed. And worst case scenario, Matilda May is really, really hot and spends all of her screen time naked. So if nothing else, you're getting that. That's not the reason I suggest watching it, but at least that's the, but if that's what it takes to get you to do it, then I'm going to use it. It's a happy, <laughs> happy bonus. Exactly. Plus now, you get to see uh, Patrick Stewart's very first on-screen kiss. With mm, Steve Rails back. Mm. <laughs> Hot! <laughs> mm. Now I will say uh, she is a very, very attractive woman. Those aren't the biggest titties, though. They're nice. Really nice. I didn't say they were the biggest titties. I said they're one of the best breasts in cinema. One of. You completely ignored the one of. Every word's important. You don't get to edit them out. <laughs> <laughs> if one of doesn't mean the best, it means if you make a list of the best, you'll be on it. <laughs> How you every... kept missing that, David? I have no idea. Uh, if, if every... <laughs> Merely to agitate you that much more. It's a pimp named Slickback. <laughs> you gotta say the, it, it, it's like a tribe called Quest. You gotta say the whole thing. <laughs> hmm. You mean Slickback? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> like you gotta say the whole thing. <laughs> God, that just so good. <laughs> yep, that's the Voodocks. Okay. This movie is so enjoyable. It's got us happy and laughing just talking about it. All right. <laughs> and then you brought up a fifth day soap bag, so I only made it worse. <laughs> it's like, Tom, yeah, what I should have done this whole review whole as, a, as a pimp name <laughs> Now, Tom, what you got is what we call whole dependency. <laughs> like, oh my I, god, that was the best part of a pimp name slip back when he actually <laughs> when he actually gave a legit psychological profile of somebody and their issues, and immediately turns around and be like, "Hell no, that bitch will happy to she go to the movies." <laughs> like, I would appreciate it if you stop calling my wife a bitch. He's like, "But Tom, I have to call her a bitch, or that would be disrespectful to you." <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> now the reason I like this movie is because there's a white woman in it. Everyone knows the best naked people are white women. Okay, <laughs> Doc. Uh, this review brought to you by Pimp Name Slipback and Uncle Ruckus. And Uncle Ruckus. <laughs> I will happily watch a commentary track for this movie by those two characters. Right. <laughs> right. Uh. Yeah. 
Boondocks creators. There you go. We just gave you a bang idea. Bring you in money. Like, free. Free of charge. Do that shit. <sighs> you don't have to pay us royalties. We will listen to that for free. <laughs> it will be its own reward. Oh, man. What is it? Uh, is it Space Theater 3000 or what is the one where mystery they do science Mystery Science Theater? Yeah, if we could get a Mystery Science Theater for movies with Uncle Ruckus and a, and a pimp named Slickback. Oh, <laughs> if I could mimic the voices well enough, that might be something we would all have to get together to do. I might have to I might okay. have to work on my impersonations for that. <laughs> I want to keep laughing, so let's talk about Nazis. <laughs> Indeed, after the sponsor break. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Hi. So. Welcome. I feel like a new theme for me on this show is things I say that can be taken as exaggerations but are accurate because I am not kidding when I say this is talking about Nazis is going to make me laugh (laughs) in this particular case. Well, I was so I'm doing the research for all these Nazi extremists and the mystical artifacts that they are chasing. And I start reading about, like, really read. Like, I'd, I'd heard the tales. I'd heard some of the horror stories. We've all seen, like, the movies that reference it, like Hellboy. But I sit Indiana down and I Jones. really start Indiana Jones. I sit there, who was based off of a one of these Nazi nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I'm reading it, and I'm like, wow, this rabbit hole goes deep. This is some Alice in Wonderland shit. You ever you ever stepped in a rabbit hole and lost three days? <laughs> like I was like, wow, this is wow. Now, what kind of Kool Aid were you drinking though, when you went on this? <laughs> you take a sip, look at some Nazi artifact stuff. You're like, oh yeah. <laughs> Now, also on that note, though, I couldn't find accurate, like very much accurate information on all of the different things they were looking for past the Spear of Lajanus, uh, the Holy Grail, and I think Lodginous, one other thing. Destiny? Or is that uh, another well, name for the Spear of Destiny? Destiny but yeah, the, the Spear, Spear of, of Destiny. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were probably looking for Mjolnir too. Yeah, they were also looking for they they speculated that Mew, oh the city of Atlantis was the other thing that was the other thing. <laughs> oh man, were they into that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but let's uh, let's go into it then. Uh, yeah. Who wants to start? Um, well, I think I can give a rough overview when I say Nazis were honestly and sincerely looking for magical shit, no matter how obvious it was, it didn't exist. And the Allies' response was, well, that's stupid, but just in case they're right, but we better just- make sure they don't bother me. <laughs> do some counter That's what really got me. That is all that <laughs> really gets me. We'll sit here and go, 
God exists, Thor exists, we'll do all these religions where this exists, but as soon as someone goes, yeah, I talk to God every day, we're like, that motherfucker is crazy. (laughs) So I'm just going to go in here. Has anybody else actually read the book World War Z and Oral History of the Zombie Movie, uh, an Oral History of the Zombie Wars? No, I have not. No. Uh, There's a wonderful chapter in there called The Tenth Man. It's actually even in the movie. Too. It's like the one of the very it's like one of the only three things from the book that's actually in the World War Z movie where they bring up the concept of the tenth man that Jewish intelligence has. Uh which is the kind of thing that can only come from a group of people who are used to constantly being like hunted to near eradication on a regular basis. Uh which is this concept of if you have ten people and nine of them say something is impossible, then it becomes the duty of the tenth person to prove those other nine wrong just in case that's the one that's right. Hmm. And I feel like this is very much that I like the allies attempts to stop the Nazis from getting mystical artifacts is that concept put into motion. So it's kind of like always having the one doomsdayer on the team. The one that's always like, oh, we're going to get, oh, this is such a bad idea. We're all going to be killed. It, it's just <laughs> it's just so that on record, someone said this is a bad idea, but it just happened to work out anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I said this last week, pretty much the entire Nazi party was just made of a bunch of geeky man children. Oh, that was that was the other thing. I was like, I was reading through it, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? This was all just a bunch of nerds. <laughs> this was all just Pretty a bunch much. of extremist nerds." <laughs> I mean, there's a metaphor I like to use for a certain kind of per- for a certain kind of person, especially a fan. And we are we're all geeks. We're all familiar with this kind of person. It's the six year old with the Batman action figure. Batman's their all-time favorite superhero, and when they play with the other kids, they start making Batman do ridiculous stuff because they just can't allow a scenario where Batman might be overpowered or lose. So even though they claim Superman sucks compared to Batman, they'll have him do Superman things because he's a six-year-old with a kid with the with freaking toy, and that toy's going right. to do whatever he says it does. The Nazis uh, are what happened when that kid take over a country. <laughs> okay, do either of you are either of you familiar with the anime Chumbio? No. Mm-mm. Okay, in the anime Chumbio, it is basically a slice of life anime about that stage in childhood where you really believe in mystic things. So you think you're a superpower version of Superman or that you have some kind of psychic ability or stuff like that and you do pretend and do that but you're supposed to grow out of that when you hit like high school right and but in the in in the anime the 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 main female character is is just starting high school with the other characters and so you have the characters who stopped doing it because it started getting embarrassing and they're trying to get away from it but she continues doing it so there'll be parts in the anime where it'll kind of go into her mind and she's wielding all these super she's doing all these like super powered attacks and stuff and then they'll go to actually what's happening and they're just saying random really cringy stuff and throwing their hands out with no effect that's what this 
felt like when I was reading about the Nazis chasing all of this mystical stuff. It felt like they hadn't fallen out of that stage yet. Well, that brings me to uh, one of my favorite anecdotes about the Nazis. And this uh, this ties in more into their mentality than it does into the whole, like, searching for, like, the spirit of destiny and stuff like that. Uh, which is, um, and this was actually co-opted into Star Trek VI, uh, The Undiscovered Country, where somebody was having dinner with, like, some members of the Nazi party. And they quoted Shakespeare. And the Nazi literally responded to them, Oh, yes, you should hear it in the original German. It's even better. Like, they're so childish that they had that instinctive need to uh, everything must be theirs. They actually tried to co-op Shakespeare. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And my favorite thing about this is, to this day, um, Goebbels, uh, the famous Nazi who's in charge of their propaganda, who is probably also the most competent member of the entire Nazi party. Uh, we can't tell if he actually believed any of this shit or not. We just know he loved taking advantage of it. Mm. Well, wouldn't you? If you were, if, yeah. if you were a person <laughs> in that position and you had enough brains to be like reasonable about it, wouldn't you also be like, oh, this is a golden opportunity. Oh, I'm so going to use this. <laughs> oh, I don't blame Go- Okay, is it just me getting kicked or are we all getting kicked? We're all getting kicked, but uh, I, okay. I waited that time because the disconnection screen popped up and I waited to see if it would reconnect and I heard you and Evan like brokenly and then it just disconnected. Yeah. Okay. I completely forgot where we left off. You were saying um, that they co-opted Shakespeare, and then a little bit after that's when it uh, disconnected. I'm trying so hard not to quote the producers right now. <laughs> just in general. <laughs> <laughs> Another time we should talk about all the wonderful things Mel Brooks did to the Nazi party during World War II. That's a hoot. Oh, he was a he was a combat engineer. I was uh, yeah. happy to find that out. Yes, yeah, nice knowing that, uh, that but uh, he always had that sense of humor, even in Nazi territory. I would <laughs> imagine. <laughs> ah, <but> anyway, <laughs> oh, Atlantis, the spear of destiny. That's the thing I love most is like when you look up the Nazis, you find out probably one of the most accurate things about them in all of Hollywood is the stuff you see in like Indiana Jones and Hellboy and stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the reason they bombed the hell out of London was because they were hoping they could find Excalibur, uh, Excalibur in the rubble. Hmm. Like I said, a bunch of their entire philosophy is just all a bunch of like pre-adolescent boys who just refused to grow up and really want to touch some titties. Mm. Mm. Not a joke. It It really was like the, I think part of the Nazi propaganda thing in Germany was it's a woman's job to pump out those kids. Mm. One way you make kids. I'm (laughs) honestly not surprised. These are the same guys who traced Atlantis's, uh, 
direct survivors. They were like, okay, so Atlantis is a bunch of advanced aliens that lived on Earth out in the sea. Tsunami sunk it. But there were survivors that went to the corners of the Earth on higher grounds. That would never happen again. So they were like, well, we think that they're in Tibet. So they do an expedition into the Himalayas and confirm, and I'm using quotation marks, that the Tibetans are descendants of the Atlantean that went into the Himalayas after the destruction of Atlantis. And they confirm this through measuring their, through first off checking their facial structure and then measuring their skulls. And saying, so "Oh, yep, that 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 can, yep," and they were like, "Yep, that confirms it." And then they went home and got celebrated as heroes. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no scientific backing for this in any way. It was literally just them saying, "This is what happened," and everybody was like, "Well, well, that must be what happened." <laughs> Well, I mean, they also tried to claim that they were able to free Mussolini uh, using nothing but people who were performing seances. Hmm. <laughs> and even though it's like later on, it was revealed that no, it was it was intelligence, but we went with it. And they also had a real huge love and obsession with um, werewolves. Yep. One of their biggest beliefs was that werewolves were there to protect the pure uh, the pure and good populace, and that uh, vampires were actually like sexual deviants that were like all the other races that were there to pollute it. Which I brought up to David when I was talking about how deep this rabbit hole went, and I was like, wait, is that why in most films and literature werewolves and vampires are mortal enemies? <laughs> is that literally the root of that? <laughs> And I especially, and it makes sense because uh, werewolves have a lot of Germanic origins, but also mm. um, they are the more like. Let's be honest, vampires are Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. Metrosexual as fuck, always well dressed. Werewolves, they're lumberjacks. They're manly men with hair all over that like to show off their alphaness. So of course they loved werewolves. Mm. And let's see, wasn't there some kind of name that they used for like part of their like military or something like that that was actually like something wolf? Maybe it was Steppenwolf. No, it can't be Steppenwolf. No, Steppenwolf is a band. Um, <clears throat> no, no, I did not come. Well, Steppenwolf is a lot of things, not just a band. In fact, before there was the band, there was the character of Steppenwolf in uh, Jack Kirby's Fourth World, and that character is named after something, but I can't recall what it is right now. But there was something like called a Wolf Brigade or something they had. Wolf shirts. It wasn't dog soldiers, was it? Wolf shirts, I think. Or that might have been Viking. No, dog soldiers is a really awesome British movie about yeah, because that yeah, and that's what I was thinking. But I was like, it couldn't possibly be that, could it? Was... Oh, oh, get ready. Oh, say so. Get ready for this one, Gerald. Well, dog soldiers is a low budget British horror movie about military guys running to werewolves, directed by Neil Marshall, who directed the most recent version of Hellboy, who fought. Nazis because they were after mystical shit. We're back on topic. <laughs> it's all connected. <laughs> oh, jeez. And now so... I should say it again in the original German. <laughs> oh. The original German? You think they thought German? the Tempest was real? <laughs> Hell, in part German. 
<laughs> I'm uh, a little bit of everything. Coming? Hmm? Never mind. I was trying to be you you uh <laughs> you went out for a little bit there, so I didn't catch what you said. I was trying to be funny and it didn't work. Well, I don't know. I didn't hear Right. It. You you have to be heard in order for someone to think <laughs> that it is funny. Is the original gem? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> I can't I can't hold it in anymore. Springtime for Hitler oh, and God. Germany. <laughs> Don't be stupid, be a smarty. Come and join the Nazi party. <laughs> was that a real thing? That sounds like a real thing. That was from the producers. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so it was a real thing, just Which not the way I think. Absolutely should see if they haven't already. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it also has one of my favorite lines ever in a movie from the German, not from the Nazi survivor who wrote the play they try to make, which is, it's like, shut up. I am the Rotha. You are the audience. I'll drink you. <laughs> <laughs> He's not necessarily and wrong. Also perfectly. <laughs> yeah. And once again, a perfect example of the Nazi mentality and its childishness and immaturity. <laughs> Like literally, the, the basically the Nazi party were just the dudes on the internet who bitch about every geek thing that comes out and talk about how they hate like friggin' Captain Marvel because they don't like stuff Brie Larson said and like bullied Rose Tico off of off of social media. Just they got a country for a little bit, and we saw how disastrous that was. Eh, well, people in power. <sighs> well, yeah, it's uh over here so i don't know maybe that maybe that is the case i don't know watch us the quickening remember highlight <laughs> only one that was actually we never do get to see the conclusion of that hmm? i mean we assume it was duncan mcleod but we never do get to see the conclusion you don't want to know what highlander endgame oh there's one after that do not look it up. Oh no, Leave the final dimension, right? And even then, there's about three or four different Highlander timelines. So, <laughs> minimum. I mean, don't forget there's an animated series. Mm. Yeah. There's an anime movie too that was actually pretty pretty decent. Yes, the search for vengeance. The scene where it's just like the main character fighting his arch nemesis throughout all the major wars in human history, where he clearly is picking a side just based on what is the opposite of his enemy side is fucking wonderful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, his his villain was an his uh, arch enemy at one point was a Nazi. Hmm. Makes sense. The villain's whole thing is he wanted to bring back the Roman Empire, and man, were the Nazis into being the new Roman Empire. I would have preferred it, since he was picking his side based off of the opposite, that the villain had been on the allied side, and so he joined the Nazi side just so he could kill the guy. I feel like that would have been a more interesting story. Yeah, but it wouldn't have made sense with the villain, uh, with the character of the villain as they set him up. Because, like I just said, the guy was an ancient Roman whose entire motivation for his two thousand lifespan was to bring the Roman Empire back. So, if you're in World War II and you're going to pick a side based (laughs) off of that ideology, (laughs) you're going to pick the Nazis. 
Yeah. Who literally were all about being the new contemporary Roman Empire. Remember, the whole point of what they were doing was, and this goes right back to that whole childish thing, a thousand-year-long Reich. Mm. Because these were definitely the kind of people who were thinking a thousand years ahead. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's. I know it's. It's like they they've done horrible atrocities and they're some of the worst monsters in all of human history. But it's just when you realize what the source of all of this stuff is, it's just so pathetic. You can't not laugh. It, it is a. It is a terrible joke. It is one of those terrible, terrible jokes. It's insanely funny, but yeah. it's a terrible joke. <laughs> And they really are just like Keystone cops in the sense that they just they more stumbled into all their power and influence than most of them because like most of the Nazi party party were clearly not that competent. They it just, is ab Oh no, continue your thoughts, sorry. Yeah. They just they just happened to do the right things <laughs> and say the right things at the right time and had the perfect man child to prop up as their figurehead. Every politician ever. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. But so back, it is... back to the mythical shit. Oh. Yep. Yeah, I think didn't they also have a few like uh they sent a few expeditions to Antarctica or something? Yes. All right, then I'll let David talk about that because I couldn't find other artifacts that they went out searching for other than Atlantis, the Spear, <clears throat> and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Well, and the, uh, Mjolnir. And Mjolnir. The, sorry. I'm interrupting. Oh, no. I, I was just saying, what I, found, what I found out about Mjolnir was that they assumed that Thor was just an Aryan and that Mjolnir was some of the lost technology from the Atlanteans. Hmm. <laughs> that, that's that all I could find on that. But that's something yeah. else we kind of forgot to bring up is that they were hardcore into Norse mythology too. Yeah, much to the chagrin uh, of pagans everywhere. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, they were using. Well, no, David, you go ahead, and we can talk about that afterwards. Because that's a that's another discussion as well. <laughs> well, the the whole Antarctic thing uh, veers strongly into conspiracy theory, like lizard people conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> These are in lizard our defense, if, the stuff well, we're if, discussing here is kind of the reason why conspiracy theories like that exist. <laughs> yeah, and if yeah. lizard, if you're pausing at lizard people, considering the stuff we've already talked about, <laughs> I, I I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, I'm not, no, I'm just saying it's that the the whole Antarctic thing. I, I've heard stories like there's a there was a crashed spaceship, mm. uh, a secret like the entrance to the hollow Earth where lizard uh, think- people. It was. I'm pretty sure it's real, but it's either there's either something they were looking for, and I'm not 100 percent sure what it was, or it was just that they were so determined to take over the world that they wanted to make sure they claimed Antarctica too. Either one of them is viable at this point. Yeah. 
<clears throat> that, but that's the extent of what I know about Ant- Antarctica. It's 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 all heavily conspiracy theory ish stuff. Well, let's hear some theories. Yeah, I just basically said it. There's like there was a crashed spaceship, or oh, the, entrance okay. to the hollow was... Earth is there, and that's where the we the, recommend the people... we recommend that '90s docu series, The X Files, to learn more. and oh god there's so many conspiracy theories like uh, I want to say there was a conspiracy theory that they found a crashed spaceship and that's how they were able to advance their technology so quickly like they were the first to have jet powered aircraft which, which uh, I find hilarious. Really, they were just able to advance their technology so quickly because they weren't listening to the experts. So they just let any scientist come along and do whatever crazy thing they thought of. Yeah, that was also a big thing with the Nazi Party. They, they were, were literally... interested in your idea. They didn't care if you were a leading person on it or even if you had actual concrete knowledge on it. As long as you were enthusiastic about it and they liked it, they were like, yeah, we're on board. And believe it or not, um, there's proof that uh, basically if we did not end the war when we did, they would have been only weeks away from having developed the first atom bomb. Yeah. Even even though we had the first atom bomb? They would have beat us to it if we didn't win when we did. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. (sighs) But yeah, so... Lots of lots of crazy, crazy conspiracy, tinfoil hat, fun happy shit when it comes to the Nazis. Oh, they love it. Yeah, like it's like I said. I said many times. The only problem with most conspiracy theories is that it's based off of the idea that people in charge are well competent <laughs> and really really smart. And in reality, it's when you really look at the truth of it, it's just like what we're talking about here. It's a bunch of very childish and not very thought out ideas and things that people just keep chasing. And they just happen to have the power, influence, and resources to actively chase it. And we yeah. just don't like the idea that it's possible for somebody to Forrest Gump their way into one of the most powerful forces in human history. So they, they have to be putting this all together. They have to be just so smart and competent because even though if that's not true, they still need it to be stopped. Our enemies say something about us. And if we really are like, if our entire existence was really that threatened by a bunch of lucky man-child idiots, then what does that say about us, the people who had to stop them? <laughs> to which I'm just like, we're the smart ones who stopped them. Just be, I don't give, like, you, anybody who thinks that just because someone hasn't grown up or they're not that smart isn't dangerous, by all means, give a baby a gun. right yeah i mean i don't care what you i don't care what your views on trump's policies and the things that he's done whether that be positive or negative but the fact remains trump is a childish petty asshole period not a competent one and well yeah and not a competent one and those are just the facts but he's our president yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, so ah, uh, jeez, the 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 ah, uh, the rabbit hole. This is some Alice in Wonder. Uh. <laughs> Don't bring up the rabbit hole. The Nazis will go looking for it. Oh yeah, they will. Oh yeah, they will. <laughs> oh, the rabbit hole. You seen the rabbit hole? <laughs> like no, no, no Anthony Fauci knows that Alice in Wonderland is true, <laughs> and they just just think Jules tried to tell us it isn't. All we, we fi- need. Hmm. We shall go into the Wonderland. We shall find the Jabberwocky. We shall make it our beast of destruction, and we will rule the world. <laughs> Clearly, the, Zabber- the Jabberwocky was just a werewolf. You would know that if you read the original German. <laughs> <laughs> and is probably the half-free child of one of the Aryan races from the Atlantic. <laughs> God damn it, you guys. Why? <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So, let's... Uh, okay, so let's do a couple of, like, fun... Okay, so a good fun fact is when it comes to the Spear of Destiny... Apparently, Hitler, when he first saw it, talking to Heimrich, he was talking, when right before Heimrich became like his mentor um, in the dark arts. Real and stuff, quick, because uh, Spear of Destiny is a little niche compared to a lot of religious artifacts. The Spear of Destiny is a spear that Pontius Pilate uh, stabbed uh, through the um, midsection of Jesus Christ, and it's yes. said to have like, and whoever holds that would, in theory, would be able to take over the world. Well, back in, yeah, yeah. Before David did say he had to go for a second, and then he'd be back. But then we got disconnected shortly after that. Ah, wonderful. Yeah. All right, so continue where we've left off. Um, I was just talking about how uh, when Hitler was uh, when Hitler. Hitler stated that when he first saw the Spear of Destiny, he uh, had visions of his greatness and rise to power and ruling of the world. And the the lore on the Spear of Destiny is that anyone who holds it becomes invisible. Not invisible, invincible. Um, and if they lose it, they die, which led to a lot of people uh, actually believing in it because once he lost, once he did, like, once the Allied Nations took possession of the Spear of Destiny, a lot of people say that he died then when historically accurately it was supposed to have been like 10 days after that. But a lot of people say that it is, a lot of people believe that maybe it was possible because he died very shortly afterwards, but Look, I'm just sticking to the known fact that the greatest thing Hitler ever did was kill Hitler. Right. <laughs> Should that be a Guinness Book of World Record where your greatest life achievement was your own dest- was destroying yourself? Hey, if he didn't do it, the time travelers would have pulled it off. <laughs> he knew Wasn't they were coming. Wasn't that the plot to Command and Conquer Red Alert? That's the plot of almost every like time travel story who has zero imagination. 
with the exception of one comic, and I can't remember what it was, where they revealed that the reason why you can't do that is because literally every time traveler is trying to do that. So they keep getting mm. in each other's way. So things mm. go the way they're going to anyway, because time travelers won't stop trying to kill Hitler. <laughs> Even though that would... Ho- Even- okay, so the thing about time travel... All right, which is why <laughs> most people should never attempt it because even those who know what they're no, doing it should be can't pointed do out. It, right? Should be pointed out the Nazis did. I know. <laughs> um, but if you change even the smallest thing in the past, it really would have a butterfly effect on the future. So going Maybe. back and killing, well, no. Go if you were to kill a figure like Hitler, like let's because I know a a very popular thing is like if you could go back in time before Hitler did all of his atrocities, before he rose to power, and you knew he was Hitler, would you try to talk him out of it, knowing that he might still do it, or would you kill him then and there? But what you do have to understand is that by taking Hitler out of his place in history, regardless of the atrocities he's committed, that is what makes the future currently what it is. So you are drastically Maybe. changing the future and not and not necessarily positively. Actually, there's also the theory that you can't actually travel that any time travel that would go backwards that far would actually wind up putting you into a completely different reality that's just extremely different, similar to ours. So our history would not actually change at all despite you doing it, but you would have made it so that another like version of our timeline's history is altered because Hitler's no longer there. So it yeah, doesn't take parallel. the valley out of it at all. Or anything. Yeah. Yeah, but parallel world. Uh, that's not theory, possible which is- because even if you do make a time machine, you can't go back any further than when you turned it on. So. <laughs> Yeah, there is the theory that you can't go back in time. You can only go forward. No, we, yeah, no, no. We actually did work out what, like, the only way you'd be able to travel backwards in time if you built a time machine is if you didn't go any further than literally the moment you turn on the time machine, because it would basically operate kind of like a signal. Like, you need some signal and the only thing to receive the signal will be the machine itself so you really could not go back any further back in time than when the machine was first turned on Hmm. that's an oversimplification of it but it's the easiest way to explain it really quick in a podcast gotcha i'll have to read up on that because i i've read up on a lot of the different theories but yeah i'll have to read up on that one I've had way too much interest in time travel since I was about five years old. <laughs> nah, I was like, time travel. But once again, just the Nazis not. did try it. I'm not surprised. Yeah. They- yes, this is very, very frustrating. Very frustrating. <laughs> Does anybody All else right. think we should just a finale on this before that happens again? Yeah, we probably should. And we've been going for quite a little while anyway, so we probably yeah. should just go ahead and try to wrap things up. Well, so right. far it's been an hour and 47 minutes. Oh, has it only been an hour and 47 yeah. minutes? It's 5.10 here. We started at 3. Yeah. yeah like well, right at 3, so it's actually been two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. The uh, amount of recorded show, though, is like an hour and 47 minutes so far. That's what I've put 
in my um, anchor on my other phone. <clears throat> Should be more than that. We haven't been out more than a couple of minutes at a time whenever it crapped out on us. Yeah. yeah okay, so it crapped out on us more than I thought. An hour <laughs> well, and 52 minutes so far. Well, either way, I say we should wrap it up before we get crapped out again. Yeah, because it, now it's becoming a chronic issue. So Yeah. So in closing on... Chronic. I know. Which... <sighs> <laughs> but in closing, <laughs> the Nazi party were a bunch of extremist nerd nutcases. Um, uh, did we want to talk about any... Do we want to go ahead and just stop there on those two things? Or did we want to also talk about one or two of the crazy assassinations in history? Each one of us could do one. I think it's better for we leave that for a whole other episode because crazy assassinations, oh my god. Oh, dude, dude, I was literally talking to Nick, and I'll say this real quick. I was talking to Nick about this, and I was like, dude, if the human race ended, like all human race, uh, end of days, apocalypse happened, our civilization is gone, it's just ruins, and freaking aliens came to our planet and started going through the ruins and translating our, uh, our language and trying to learn about us, and everything was read. Nothing was viewed. It was all read documents. They would literally not be able to tell the difference between real life and fucking Looney Tunes episodes, considering the shit <laughs> that goes on in history. Like, you literally have aliens. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> but in closing, Nazis, Nazis crazy. <laughs> Which I guess should be obvious. Indeed. And just like I told uh, Gerald Evan, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> yes, well, I think the thunderstorm is causing problems. So the faster we wrap, the better. We'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, yeah. But you guys, your closing thoughts? I've already given mine. Uh, I'll, I'll have to finish Life Force so I can see this. Uh, panic in london thing <clears throat> it was definitely an interesting movie very 80s very bad um you say that like it's that kind of bad no oh, it is that kind of bad <laughs> <laughs> no it isn't there's bad and then there's bad this is definitely the latter not the former right and uh, christy just gave me an interesting idea we should do a review of mac and me otherwise known as the uh no that is bad <laughs> <laughs> mac and me or et and product placement yeah mac mcdonald's et mcdonald's pepsi how uh, is it that you haven't made that connection before what do you mean mcdonald's mac and me yeah. I Where do you actually, think that name came from? I actually watched uh, Mystery Science Theater uh, do it, and God, it was so horrible. Oh, I remember. I remember. And then the, the <laughs> ending was just even worse. Like, they, they gave the aliens citizenship. Yep. Uh, but uh, I think yeah. that's why we're having a debate about citizenship today because everyone saw that movie and went, nope. <laughs> so, but that's just, all. <laughs> just noped the fuck out of that. 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of more people would just be happily brought into this country if Mac and Me wasn't made. Huh? <laughs> but anyway. Right, and uh, Nazis, what, what else can you say other than it's fun to punch them in the face? Yeah. What can I say about Nazis that I haven't already had to say to every sexist man-child I argue with about Star Wars and friggin' Marvel movies online with? Hmm. Nazis, I'd the only that. group you can still tell racist jokes about and everybody thinks it's funny. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's real gas. <laughs> oh. <sighs> oh, man. That brings us so many that. terrible <laughs> jokes. <laughs> Six so billion strong and growing. <laughs> oh Jesus! That's oh, so I can do this terrible all day. shit. Uh, hey, David, you want me to get us canceled right now? Because <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. Hey, I can many, do uh, it. How many Jews can you fit into a whole twenty? I bet you did not see these bad jokes coming. Uh, I did not see that coming. Did you? Oh, God. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are we the bodies? We might be the bodies. <laughs> but, uh, okay. uh, just if you're going to join a fat, uh, get an IQ, IQ test done first. You, it may surprise you. <laughs> right. You should probably so, just have IQ tests. Well, continue, David. No, go ahead, because I'm going to do the final wrap-up. Well, right. Go ahead and do your final wrap-up. It's not that important. It can wait until another yeah. podcast before we get cut off again. All right. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully you enjoyed our rantings about <clears throat> naked women and uh, overgrown nerd man-child. Um, as always... But enough about Life Force. Tell us about the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> <Too shame. laughs> but uh as always you can uh hit us up on social media we are at uh gsaets on twitter uh gaming sessions and everything under the sun page on facebook i have a locals account for us now it's a uh, gsaets podcast.locals.com you know Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Give us ideas. You know, buy us a coffee. In other words, give us money. Just kidding. Well, help us to make this better for you. For those of you us listening to us and those of you us who are tuning in to listen to us for the first time, help us make this a better show for you. Because making it a better show for you makes it a better show for us. It is a symbiosis so that I works. Will. I will happily accept coffee as payment. <laughs> mm, I will happily accept Oreos. I will accept that, naked fresh. Because you're Martian. <laughs> My friends, for as a birthday present, got me. Uh, have you ever heard of Hero Clicks? Yes. Uh, yes. Okay, so Hero Clicks, for those who don't know, make this as quick as I can. For those who don't know, it's a game that is played with little miniature plastic figures. So for my birthday, because I love Oreos so much, my friends 
got me a Martian the Manhunter Heroclix figure where he's sitting on a throne of Oreos. Hmm. <laughs> I nice. love that goddamn thing too. <laughs> All right. On that note, everybody, thank you for listening. Continue to be safe. Have a good rest of the weekend. Uh, Try to have a good week coming up, and we will see you back uh, next week. Basically everything that David said. Um, And sorry for the issues we've been having. Hopefully we won't have those (laughs) next time. But take care, everybody, and see you later. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 